Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, everyone. I've been reading about the difference of opinions surrounding Psalm 83, and there appear to be two main camps. One believes Psalm 83 is unfulfilled prophecy, a future war between Israel and Arab nations. Now, the other camp believes Psalm 83 is merely a lament with imprecatory overtones, you know, kind of like David wrote Psalm 55, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, etc. So what's the correct view? Well, for what it's worth, I've decided to add my voice and opinion to the situation. Each student of scripture, I might add and emphasize, is obligated to research and be the best researcher of scripture they can be to ultimately learn God's intended meaning on this and every area of scripture. Now, I say that as a reminder that the scripture was ultimately penned by God through roughly 40 different human authors. And what we have in the Bible is God's word to us, regardless of the human instrument used. Now, because there are God's words to us in scripture, it's exceedingly important that we come away with his meaning that he intended to provide. Anything other than that is what is called eisegesis, which means we read our meaning into the text based on our cultural context and worldview. Now, Psalm 83 has a total of 18 verses, and Asaph, the writer, speaks of ancient enemies of Israel, then what he would like to see happen to those people, what he would like God to do about those enemies. Now, Bill Salas, in his book, Israelistine, believes Psalm 83 is a prophetic passage of scripture describing a yet future conflict between Israel and Arab nations. He looks to the time soon when the events of this psalm are fulfilled. And he further believes that this coming Psalm 83 conflict between Israel and her enemies will usher in the needed peace and security for Israel, necessary for the coming northern invasion of Ezekiel 38 to 39, after the Psalm 83 war. Well, let me read the uh, text to you from Psalm 83. This is the New King James Version. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They've said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gabal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria has also joined them. They have helped the children of Lot. Selah. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb. Yes, all the princes like Ziba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. O oh my God, Make them like the whirling dust, 
like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Now, Psalm 83 is prophecy. What do we make of that? Well, one of the main reasons Bill Salas and others believe Psalm 83 to be predicting an actual future war with Israel is based on the groups mentioned in the psalm itself, and they are Edom, Ishmaelites, Moab, Hagrites, Gabal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, Tyre, and Assyria. Now, note that even though Egypt itself is conspicuously absent and it's not mentioned at all in this above list, Bill Salas goes ahead and connects the Hagrites with ancient Egypt. That's interesting. But Joel Richardson notes that during this time of Asaph, when he wrote this particular psalm, Egypt was already a very well-known nation. Why did Asaph not include Egypt by name versus referring to it supposedly as Hagrites, as Salus believes. And here's a quote from Joel Richardson. When this psalm was written in the 10th century BC, the Hagarites were a people who lived in the region of northern Jordan, east of Gilead. And that's, of course, based on First Chronicles 5.10. Now, I've got another link in the transcript, so if you follow it, it's labeled Lion and Lamb with Bill Salas. Follow that link, and you'll find a transcript of Bill Salas's onset interview regarding the very subject of Psalm 83. Salas believes, as he notes, that this coming conflict is different from the Ezekiel 38-39 Gog-Magog, or Northern Invasion. And he believes it's going to happen after the fulfillment of Psalm 83. I've written quite a few articles on Ezekiel 38 through 39 at my blog. And in the transcript, there's a link to those articles. And generally speaking, there's a good deal of information about these chapters. But we cannot be clear on the timing of when that event is going to occur. The only thing we know is that it has not happened in history yet. So, though Salas appears certain that this particular psalm, Psalm 83, is fully prophetic, let me interject this, though, for your consideration. Take the time to read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Then read Psalm 83. Then read both of them again. Then start to do some comparisons. When I read Ezekiel 38 to 39, I come away with a definitive, clear picture of prophecy. That's what I see, a clear prophetic picture. Why is that? Well, it's unmistakable because of the language used and the images conjured up, specifically pointing to a future time from Ezekiel's perspective. He was looking into the future. God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and says he is going to do certain things and is extremely specific about what he is going to do when Gog gathers his forces and tries to attack Israel. And what I really think is interesting is God brings this whole subject up unlike Asaph, who brought his concerns to God. This comes out of the blue to Ezekiel. In fact, it's also very clear that God gives Gog the idea in the first place, though Gog, of course, thinks he thinks it up. There is much about these two chapters in Ezekiel that indicate to us we are reading prophecy. 
So many people like me believe these prophecies included in these two chapters of Ezekiel are still yet future because we can't look back and point to a specific time when these chapters might have been fulfilled. Others see them as already having been fulfilled. Normally, they do this by allegorizing part of the text here and there. Now, Salas is clear that he believes Israel is not living securely now, which he thinks will eventually usher in this Psalm 83 Israel-Arab conflict, and that will produce the security for Israel. He says the Hebrew Yashab Batach means a security that is accomplished through military defeat. Salas even states, by the way, based on this thinking that, quote, at this point in time, a few years ago when he said this, I don't see that Israel exists, unquote. Well, the problem is that author Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum says otherwise, that essentially Israel is secure in their ability to defeat their enemies, just as they did during the Six-Day War. And that's my paraphrase from his book, The Footsteps of the Messiah. Highly recommend that book. Israel most certainly exists, and even the ungodly UN admits that fact. Israel appears secure in the sense of being able to defend itself against her enemies, as we've seen in recent history time and time again. Is Israel at peace with her enemies? No, and that's not what the Bible says. They're living securely. Psalm 83 has hardly anything in it that would indicate to us that it is prophetic at all, in my opinion. In fact, one of the things that Salas does is point to the fact that Asaph is a seer, S-E-E-R. Okay, yes, he was considered a seer, someone who could predict future events by God's power and for God's glory. But that doesn't mean that everything Asaph ever stated was meant as prophetic and that he only spoke in prophetic language. Look at the Psalms, some of which David wrote, which turned out to have prophetic utterances in them concerning Christ. Did he intend that? I doubt it. Asaph is credited with writing 12 of the Psalms, many of which are laments, hymns, songs of thanksgiving, wisdom, and liturgies. Some of his writings do forecast judgment to come, like Psalm 50. But often Asaph wrote in general terms, and likely he's looking toward the end of this age when Jesus Messiah, coming as Lord, King, and Judge of this earth, will right all wrongs and all injustices will be dealt with perfectly at that point. Now, likewise, the Apostle Paul revealed a number of mysteries in his writings revealed to him directly by our Lord, so he says. Things like the church, the rapture, and other things were presented as subjects and events that were yet to occur in the future, but were unknown previously. However, this does not mean that everything Paul taught was prophetic. In fact, much of what Paul taught was simply Bible truth telling us the relationship we have with Christ through our Holy Spirit and how we are to actually live as an ambassadors of Christ in this life for the main purpose of presenting the gospel to the lost of this world. While that might include highlighting aspects of either past or future prophecy in the transmission of the gospel, the emphasis is not necessarily on prophecy from Paul's perspective. Now, there's actually much more in Psalm 83 that supports the idea that this particular psalm was essentially a lament of Asaph, not prophecy. Asaph is lamenting a number of things in that psalm. He is vexed in his spirit. 
and he wants God to do something about it. But he is, of course, leaving all of that up to God's perfect will. Psalm 83, 5 and 6 might seem on the surface to presage a coming conflict, but that, I mean, is that going to happen? Or is Asaph simply, again, talking in general terms regarding the way the Arab nations hate Israel, always have and always will, until God physically and finally judges them? Uh, Part of the verse reads, For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. So ultimately, here is Asaph reminding God that these enemies of Israel exist and God, will you do something about it? And he does. He will. Ultimately, each reader can make up their own mind. Each listener to these words, you make up your own mind. But this leads me to another sore spot, if you will. The end times itself, the whole thing surrounding the end times is big business for many. I mean, there are many folks often make a decent living from their books and speaking ga- engagements. I'm not knocking that, but when I what I am knocking or questioning is the way they always tend to introduce one of their new theories. It's always via spectacular wording like, quote, long lost prophetic verses finally unlocked, unquote, or, quote, learn the secret meaning of Bible verses which finally shed light on today, unquote. I see that all the time. And the truth is that when we see this type of hype, it may be best to move on past it. I've spent some amount of time investigating these things, and too often they come to absolutely nothing, meaning the reality doesn't live up to the hype. Or worse, many of these new reveals are little more than repackaged Gnosticism masquerading as God's revealed intentions. We need to do better. And be better about not tagging along with every new wind of doctrine that comes out today. And I think I think we're going to see that uh, Bill Salas's idea that Psalm 83 is prophecy turns out not to be. So when is when? When do we know that? Well, it's not going to happen, but it's always interesting because it could be right around the corner. Well, the truth is that when we see this hype, let's just not, let's ignore it. And one last thing for now. If you are feeling as though you are all by yourself and most people have no clue what you're talking about when you speak of, for instance, the Great Reset, internet camps, and the like, it's probably best not to continue talking with those people. While they accuse you of having a cognitive dissonance that won't allow you to see the truth because you're ostensibly a conspiracy theorist, and they'll throw that in there, they refuse to acknowledge that the same thing they accuse you of very likely operates in them. I mean, if you look at society, we have gotten to a point where people are clearly divided over many things. The gap between people is huge, whether it's theology or eschatology or what is happening in the world right now that may affect all of humanity in the near future or something else. It's very clear people have dogmatic positions that they hold dear and they don't want to let them go. Get used to being called a conspiracy theorist. Develop a thick skin. We see Jay Inslee of Washington hiring quote-unquote strike teams for isolation and quarantine camps. And I've got links to that in the transcript. And by the way, the term strike teams has been removed from the first official release looking for people to hire. So that, that term is no longer being used, but it was there on the first one. 
we read a bill going through New York State Senate describing how the state will deal with people whom they consider to be public health threats. Again, linked in the transcript. The truth is that in spite of facts and information out there, some will always look at it and go, well, so what's the problem? They're just thinking of our health and safety. Finally, read Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s new book, The Real Anthony Fauci. I've ordered it and I'll be highlighting it in an upcoming article. It's 450 pages. It's a lot to get through, but there are shortcuts you can take to read it. Uh, Written by Steve Kirsch. You want to know the truth, or at least the alleged truth about Fauci? It's in there. The only way to know whether or not the accusations against Fauci in that highly documented book are actual, are whether we see a lawsuit for defamation coming from Fauci. Why am I thinking that's not going to happen? Anyway, I thank you for joining me. And as we approach Christmas, I pray that it's a major blessing to you and your family. And uh, until we meet again, I pray that the Lord will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 